Am I Reister or am I wrong? They don't want to tell you this. But the rash of NFL injuries that we've been seeing in week one and week two, that they are due to the coronavirus and the work stoppage as it relates to that. Justin Herbert started for the Chargers, and he is better than Baker Mayfield and Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. Going for it on fourth down is the optimal play. Playing and calling football plays like you have four downs to get a first down instead of three is the right move. The Pac-12 is returning to play, but not fast enough. And then my parting shot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Am I Reister or am I wrong is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, fire. Facts only here. Check your fillers before you even step in the door, before you turn on the podcast. This ain't the place for the left, the right, snowflakes, or social justice warriors because there's no BS allowed. I keep it 100. And please make sure that you leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can get a hold of me, gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. Uh, it makes you tell a friend, send a text, whatever it is, however you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you listen as well to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast and Fox Sports Radio Series 83, Sundays 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 8 Eastern time, and you can find me there as well. Am I Reister or am I wrong? I'm probably Reister, but if not, absolutely leave a comment. Well, I'll start today with... On what, two episodes ago, I was talking about sports curses, about how the Clippers are cursed, and there is another team that has joined the list, and that is the Atlanta Falcons. I'm talking about the Dirty Bird losing Super Bowl team, the ten, the uh, Tom Brady 28-3 Super Bowl, and now the Cowboys collapse. They are officially in that category. They are the first team since 1933 to lose a game despite scoring 39 points, having zero turnovers. Teams have been 440 and zero. And not even to mention the fact that they didn't turn the ball over and were up 20 to nothing. Like it is improbable, like virtually 0%. Well, it was 0% that you could lose that game prior to yesterday. And that is the Falcons doing. So the NFL injuries though, They are due to the work stoppage and to coronavirus. And that's why when the players were getting ready to come back, there was a big fight about what they called the acclimation period. If you guys are new to the podcast, I talked about this a while ago. And the acclimation period was that amount of time that they were going to have before training camp really started because they didn't have off-season OTAs. And the way it works is, is your body almost builds up a callus when you're playing ball because you're pushing on people, you're pulling on people, you're getting hit, knocked down and all of that. And if you don't have that, your your body, it, it, it's almost like stretching, not stretching before you go work out. And in 2011, here's the stats that uh, injuries were increased by 25%. Achilles injuries more than doubled, hamstring strains went up 44%, and ACLs went up significantly as well. Because when you're away from your team facility, there's minimal, what, what 
they, they call it prehab. So you do rehab after you get injured, but you do prehab to keep from getting injured. That means that they don't have access to the cold tubs, to the stem machines, hyperbaric chambers, the other various equipment and doohickeys that they use on the players. And that's why you have guys like, uh, it, it doesn't directly mean that uh, Saquon Barkley's ACL tear, Nick Bosa's ACL, Solomon Thomas, Mike Evans, and Miles Sanders' hamstring injuries, that they are necessarily directly related to that. But but the, the numbers say that injuries are going to be up at least around the 25% number this year. So that's why even when it relates to college football, that those players, when they're trying to play within, when they're trying to play a game within a month or four weeks, you're going to have college players experience the same thing. That's why if I were a player like Panay Sewell, if I were other players and we haven't been practicing, I am probably continuing to sit out. I'm going to wait till the NFL draft, wrap myself up in bubble wrap because you're only increasing the chance of an already risky game. Um, next thing up, Justin Herbert, after one game, I can tell you that he's better than Baker Mayfield and better than Dwayne Haskins. We have seen uh, 13 games with uh, Dwayne Haskins as a starting quarterback. We've seen uh, 34 games with Baker Mayfield, and he's clearly regressing, clearly regressing. And we've seen Justin Herbert. This is exactly why you have people like Bill Parcells who are not a fan of one-year starting quarterbacks like Dwayne Haskins, only one year at Ohio State. It doesn't give you enough time to see enough defenses, people trying to trick you, being uh, in that main leadership position for a long time. Baker Mayfield kind of came out of nowhere too. He was the starter for more than one, one year, but since he's been in the NFL, he's completing 61% of ba Baker Mayfield, 61% of his passes, 52 touchdowns, 32 interceptions. He's already started out this year in two games, three touchdowns, two interceptions, one horrendous game and one game against a defense that was Swiss cheese like the Cincinnati Bengals, and he still threw the ball away. Dwayne Haskins, this dude doesn't look, I mean, this dude does not look like he possesses the leadership ability and the pocket presence and everything to be a starting quarter, a franchise leading quarterback in the NFL. And that's part of the reason is that he has not been able to, he's not had enough reps. That's where staying in college sometimes is even better for quarterbacks. Said this for a long time. Everybody wants to get to the league. And Justin Herbert yesterday, he was even, even in a loss against Patrick Mahomes. Granted, the Chargers defense played really, really well. He has the, he showed in so many occasions you looked at some throws, you were like, oh, wow, that's special right there. Like that throw that Mahomes made all the way across the field to Tyreek Hill, you're like, oh, that's special. There was a couple times in the game where he threw the ball across the field to Keenan Allen, you're like, wow, that's special right there. That's special. He made a bonehead decision and threw a pick, but you're going to get that with rookies. But he clearly had leadership and the respect of his teammates. Because when you look at Baker Mayfield, the way his teammates react to him, 
And like they don't show ultimate confidence in him. Dwayne Haskins, they damn sure don't show uh, ultimate confidence in him. That's why I tell you, look at the quarterback's eyes. This is where when you're watching film, when you're watching film the way that players normally do, you're watching all 22. It's a high up shot from the end zone and then from the side as well. But you can't get a good look in a man's eyes. And sometimes you look in a quarterback's eyes, like when Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts, you look in their eyes and you're like, oh, nah, that boy ain't there. And you can look in their teammates' eyes and their body language when the quarterback tells them something. And you're like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. They believe in him. That is a big thing. because and But Anthony Lynn did say, and I tweeted it out, uh, give me your first gift when you see when you read the statement from Anthony Lynn saying that Tyrod Taylor would be the starting quarterback if he's fully healthy. I like that. I did like that because it takes less pressure because I don't believe that just because you draft a guy in the first round that he has to start right away and immediately. That does not mean that. You bring him along slow and you put him in when the kid is ready. Going forward on fourth down, more often, in the first three and a half quarters in the game, even in your own territory, is an optimal game strategy. A couple episodes ago, I was talking about analytics versus manalytics. And the analytics are very valuable, but manalytics matter more because you're using a combination of the human element along with all the valuable data that you get from analytics. And when you when you have offensive coordinators, that are playing like they are calling plays for four downs instead of three downs, you're going to end up getting the first down significantly more. And there's data to back this up because the idea that Chip Kelly really is the guy that, that started this idea of with offensive coordinators, especially the young ones. Now the young and upcoming coaches about finishing the game with the ball in your hands. Because there's so many times at the end of games, teams will just run the ball three times in a row just to, to try to take time off the clock and not and then punt the ball away. So that's run and punt football. And run and punt football is not optimal for winning championships or even because sometimes you're going to get snake bitten. Stupid things happen. I mean, how many times have we seen somebody have a missed tackle? Somebody makes a hero catch, ball bounces off one guy, another, it all penalties, all sorts of ridiculous things can happen to you. Where if you have the ball in your hands because you were more aggressive, then the other team can't score. Prime example as well, before I even get into the data, you have the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. They did two special teams trick plays. One of them, they tried to have the punter throw a comeback or a stop route, 15-yard route. The punter, who's not a quarterback, throw the ball. Which one is optimal, having the quarterback do it and having your offense do it or trying to sneak attack, throwing it to a a non-wide receiver with a non-quarterback? It's already hard enough for quarterbacks to be accurate. So then you're asking your punter to do it? Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the second time, I think they had a linebacker or a fullback or somebody run a fake instead of having a running back run it. 
Ezekiel Elliott is a much better option with your offense out there. Like for the love of the game, because already over the course of a season, over the course of, if you go back to 2017, 17, 18, 19, and 20, already the what we have data for right now. The league average is about 39 to 40% converting on third down. But converting on fourth down is each of those seasons, it's been 46%, 55%, 48%, and 52% already in 2020. So why wouldn't you go for it? You're well over it. I mean, granted, situation matters. Like if you just took a sack and it's fourth and 12, obviously, dude, it's in the second quarter, punt the damn ball. But if you were, if it's fourth and one, fourth and inches, why the hell are you punting the football? You actually give your, you actually giving up on a possession when you're more actually likely to pick up the first down. Absolute craziness. So the optimal strategy is using the analytics, but then using the manalytics more. So that's where situation matters. If you took a sack, if it's too far, um, if, if your quarterback is limping, you know, he just got injured, something like that, punt the damn football. But fourth and three or less, you should be going for this. So in 2017, there were they went for it on fourth down out of the whole NFL, 485 times, 223 convergence. That's 46%. 2018. 539, 300 conversions, 55.7%. 2019, 595 times they went for it, 285 conversions, 48 point, uh, sorry, 47.9%. 2020, in two weeks, already 80. That's with 42 conversions, that's 52.5%. While they're only converting 43% of third downs on 779 attempts. So this year they're on pace for 640 fourth down attempts and the percentage is likely to be higher because it's an optimal strategy. And the reason why you're seeing an uptick every single year, the amount is going up because you have younger head coaches in the NFL and they pay more attention to the analytics and they're not playing scared football because the, the average age of the coaches this season is 50.3 years old. You have nearly 12 coaches who are 45 and under, and you have five who are 30 somethings versus 2016. Before this even started, the average was the average age was almost 53 and just four coaches under 45. And only two in their late thirties. So you see what I'm saying? The, it's skewing younger. The coaching is skewing younger. So that's why you're seeing them go for it on fourth down more, which is the optimal strategy. I know everybody wants to play run and punt, protect the football, but you want to finish games with the ball in your hand, not in the other team's hands and letting stupid things happen. It's like, would you rather uh, have the ball in basketball? To, to end the game and the other team's just standing there letting the clock run out? Or would you rather the other team shoot a half-court shot? Uh, because If they shoot a half-court shot, what? It might go in. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Um, 
the Pac-12 is getting ready to allegedly return to play. They're going to vote on Thursday after meeting on Friday, but this makes no sense. Like, why are they taking a week? The Big Ten players that they are, and then they have the Big Ten players who are opting back into the season from the NFL draft, and you have the Pac-12 is missing out on valuable time to get its players who opted out back in. Because the NCAA is going to give them a waiver, even though they signed with an agent, because they didn't think that there was going to be a season. But with the Pac-12 waiting on the season, waiting on Thursday to vote, you don't know what these players may or may not do. So the optimal answer for the Pac-12 would have been to recall the players, first thing, recall the players, and because you already had teams like Oregon already Uh, having their players come back on September 20th, which was Sunday. So if they had recalled the players, then you're already putting them in a position, the ones who opted out, to say, all right, hold up, maybe I need to come back in. Larry Scott and the Pac-12, they punted on the season. They punted on the season and stopped making contingency plans. And they never at any point in time clearly considered alternative plans because we had Kate Brown and Gavin Newsom already say that they had not been submitted uh, uh, plans from the conference. So you didn't submit them to California and Oregon, which had regulations in place, which prevented you from playing. But you didn't even figure out if you could do it. So, like, there is value in life. I I totally believe that there is value in life in not um, submitting and giving in to peer pressure and leading the way. There's so much value in that. But the the Pac-12 has been following the Big Ten around in this situation. Big Ten came back. And now the Pac-12 is the only Power 5 conference left out in the dark not playing football. So there is power. I believe that there's things in life and not just following the crowd, forging your own path. Those things are valuable, being a leader. But the Pac-12 has not been leading on this. So I I can't say, oh, they're doing the right thing here. Because the Big Ten put in a plan that had daily testing, which all the scientists, epidemiologists, and everybody says that when you are daily testing and then the players are maintaining uh, good habits out in the world, not, not fraternizing, not doing things that college students normally do, and you don't have students on campus, particularly on the Pac-12, you are going to have an optimal scenario with the best way to do something extremely risky as an option. But the Pac-12 did not even like come up with contingency plans because they were concentrating on playing a spring season and playing ball with the antigen testing. Like So they got the antigen testing, which is, was the everyday. Uh, you can go back to the last episode if you want to hear about the point of contact testing versus the polymer chain reaction testing and how all of that works with the Big Ten plan. So... Like they were just focused on, oh yeah, we'll just play in the spring because they had the cover of the Big Ten as well, which is the biggest, baddest college football conference. But then when the Big Ten came back, it forced their hand. 
And now the, the Pac-12 is left. Okay, so do you just play exhibition games in the spring? Is that what you do? Or do you just start in no, November, play against yourself? The problem is this, is that the NFL hasn't had any games canceled in two weeks. Hasn't had any positive tests except for a, an officiating person. So the timeline appears to not be changing in terms of the NFL. Because if you're college, you have to pay attention to the NFL timeline because the NFL combine is in February. NFL draft is in April. So if you are the only people playing a spring season, the NFL is not going to move any of that back. They're going to say, look, we're still on our time schedule. You do whatever it is you need to do. But had every college team at the power fives been sitting out, the NFL then would have moved their timeline. They they would have. They wouldn't have had a choice because they want to get a good look at these players. Or if the NFL season had been backed up, then they would have then still um, adjusted their timeline. So the Pac-12 is going to have more players opt out because of that. And then going back to what I said earlier, it's an issue with injuries as well, trying to return too quickly That's why you get things done and have contingency plans like the Big Ten did. But the Pac-12 did not do that. Thanks, Larry Scott. Terrible leader. Um, And you have the Rams. They opened their home season on Sunday. Seven miles away from USC, who can't congregate in in groups of more than 12 players. The 49ers opened their home season on Sunday as well. 15 minutes up the road from Stanford. They can't even have two players touch the ball on any given play. Why do you think that is? Because the Pac-12 has not submitted these things. They're not doing daily testing yet, but now that they have a plan, now that they, sorry, now that they have the testing, they should have already had a plan because they knew that this antigen testing was coming. Larry Scott went on Dan Patrick over a week and a half ago. You know this, almost two weeks ago. We've known this. So where the hell has the plan been? And the, the and how the antigen testing actually works and all of that, it, according to a scientist, I'll put into a, uh, a link, some people from Harvard, they said, let's say a player is tested before practice. He tests positive, he gets held out, and he gets isolated. And then they do the polymer chain reaction and the uh, and it actually testing every day keeps them away from other people, which is smart and all of that. Uh, last thing up is my parting shot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Supreme Court Justice, she just passed away. She was a trailblazer, a leader out and out in the world. And there are two points that I want to make. One thing is, is that want to tell you a little bit about her. So she was one of nine women in a class of more than 500 people entering Harvard Law School in 1954. The dean asked her what it felt like to occupy places that could have gone to a deserving man. Ginsburg then transferred to, she transferred to Columbia Law. She graduated first in her class. Nobody offered her a job. The Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter He wouldn't even interview Ginsburg. He said he was not ready to hire a woman. 
This was 1960. 1960. So that means that like when we get to thinking about timelines and all that stuff in the world, this is the first point. We always think that things were quote unquote so long ago. Civil rights movement, all this. Martin Luther King let, killed less than 60 years ago. White only, segregation, less than 60 years ago. 50 years ago in some, in some places. That's not that long ago. Some of these people are still alive. And some of their kids were the people out there throwing things at people, watching them. Like they're in their 50s, 60s right now. Come on, man. Like we, we can't think that these things are that long ago. They seem like a long time ago because technology has changed. The world has changed. But people's hearts and minds don't. And their things that they teach their kids don't change in that quickly as a, as a whole. Yes, a lot of people have changed. But mm, some of that bias and racism and all that stuff still sexism still lasts. Um, the next thing up about the second point I wanted to make about it. This timing has been terrible for our country. Timing just terrible because the Supreme Court justice less than 45 days away from an, an election. Could there have been a worse scenario? A worse scenario because you're going to have the current president trying to fill a seat that was not able to be filled in 2016. The country is already divided and fighting with each other. Come on, man. Like aside from a terrorist attack or something like that, this was worst case scenario. Am I Reister or am I wrong? Please leave a comment. Peace out. Catch you guys later and make sure you share with a friend and download the podcast Reister or Wrong uh, from wherever you listen to podcasts.